Hello, friends. Welcome back to Just Like Other Girls. It's me, Shannon Fiedler. As always, excited to be here. I do feel like I am sort of all over the place. Uh, and I have been, physically, as well as mentally. Uh, emotionally, I suppose, I'm I'm sort of in the same place I've been for a while. So that's good. It's good to feel pretty stable emotionally. Although, I don't know, give me one movie where a dog dies and I'll be a mess there too and all over the place. But I do feel, I feel a little scattered right now. I just finished my first stand-up tour and it was amazing. It was everything I hoped it would be and more. It was so much fun to get to go to different cities and meet you guys and do stand-up for you guys and see where you laugh depending on where you were from. And what's so great about stand-up is that you get to be in the room with people. You get to talk with people. You get to hear what they have to say. It's a, even though, you know, I'm the one up there performing, it feels like a conversation. And it was just such an amazing chance to be a part of it. So I went Philly, Boston, New York, and D.C. four days back to back in a row. One of the biggest bummers was because it was so quick and my turnaround was so fast I didn't get enough time, or any time, really, to explore the cities and spend time in them. So for Philly, for instance, I had never been to Philadelphia before. And sadly, I still feel like I've never been to Philadelphia because I got into the city at 5 p.m. I, like, checked into my hotel, went immediately to the venue. The show was at 7. It ended, like, by the time the show wrapped up and we said goodbye to everybody and did the meet and greet and all of that um I got home back to my hotel at 10 and I knew that I had three more nights of big shows so I went to bed (laughs) and then the next morning at like 10 a.m. I flew to Boston so I didn't get a cheesesteak which I was bummed about I didn't see the Liberty Bell I didn't get to experience brotherly love (laughs) I just felt like I was in Philly, literally just because my little dot on my Google Maps was saying that I was there, like when I opened that on my iPhone. I wish I, I really wish I'd gotten a chance to see more of Philly while I was there. So I went to Philly, then I went to Boston the next day. It was snowing, and we haven't gotten any snow in New York this year, so I was like in my little winter wonderland, and you know, it's all cobblestones and brick, and It was just so fun, and my mom came with me to Boston, which was like such a joy and a treat to have her be a part of it. And then the next day, I was back home in New York, and that, I mean, like, it was so nice to be in my own bed and and have that sort of reset and, you know, switch out my suitcase, all those logistical things. And, And a lot of my friends were able to come, and a lot of my friends, you know, it's funny. When you start doing comedy, you do a lot of what's called bringer shows, And a bringer show means in order to get on stage and get your five, maybe ten minutes if you're lucky, five minutes of stage time, you have to bring five, six, eight, ten guests who are going to come. It's like a Ponzi scheme, but like not really. And so you have to bring these guests and they have to come and watch you do stand-up and they do a two-drink minimum. And when I first started out, I was constantly asking different friends like, hey, could you come with me? I need people to be there. And I was so new to stand-up, they were so excited to support me, and frankly, I think some of them were just like, I want to see if this girl can actually do it. 
it was great. And then I stopped asking them because I no longer needed them for bringers and life got busy and they'd come every once in a while. But basically the point I'm getting to is my friends came to see me in New York this week on tour and they haven't seen me in years really. And and I think it was just a really cool experience for me to say, okay, you guys, you were there at the beginning. You were there when I did five minutes and they were mediocre. And now you're seeing me do a full hour in a sold out room. And it was just like a really special moment um, to just sort of be like, wow, you guys have been with me since the beginning. And that felt really nice. And then, then I went to DC. I also had never been to DC. So DC because it was Saturday and I didn't have to go anywhere the next day. There was no Sunday show. I actually got to spend the weekend in DC. We stayed with friends and saw the city and ate the food and the food was amazing and all the sights were amazing. I like it's funny. I you know, you see DC so much on TV. I watched my date with the president's daughter. Loved that decom, obviously. But like you see the White House constantly. Yes, in the news, but also like the West Wing or just like any so many TV shows, and you see the National Monuments. And so I figured, I was like, all right, well, like, how special can they be? I, I know what they're going to look like. I've seen them on TV. It's going to be like a museum. And I was wrong. They are amazing. They are so amazing. And I really, I was kind of surprised by how much I loved them, which maybe is, like, a shitty thing to say about my expectations. <laughs> I don't know. But I really was so happy with them and like enjoyed them and I can only imagine how beautiful it is in the cherry blossom season and so then the last little bit so this is why my brain feels all over the place so in that week I was in you know New York Philly Boston New York DC back to New York and then on Thursday the following week we went to Chicago for the last stop on this tour and Chicago was so fun I I love Chicago it's great it's it's so spacious <laughs> I, I feel like I do have that, like, obnoxious New Yorker tendency sometimes to be like, oh, like, wow, like, the buildings are so small here. Or, oh, my God, your bars close at 1? Like, this is the stuff that I used to say. Or, oh, like, you guys don't have all of these restaurants on every block, whatever. And I think now I'm also starting to notice the things that other cities have that New York doesn't have that, like, are sort of obvious, almost like bare minimum things. Like I found myself in Paris and then again in D.C. and then again in Chicago. I was like, wow, it's so nice that you can like see the sky. And I was like, yeah, most places in the world you can see the sky. (laughs) You happen to live in one of the places that you can't. In a lot of ways, Chicago feels like New York. It does. Like there's definitely similarities, but it's so spacious. The sidewalks are big, the parks are big, the sky is big, the rooms are big, the restaurants, the restaurants are big. And that is something that even when I was in my height of like, New York is the best place in the world, everywhere else in the world can just go pretend it's something else. Like I was really being like the most obnoxious, pretentious, aggressive New Yorker you could be. The one thing that I always admitted to was like, I wish our restaurants had a little more space. Like, I wish there was space for me to, like, pull my chair out and not be at someone else's table. And being in Chicago, I was like, I I was like, I feel like I'm back in the suburbs. I feel like I'm in the town I grew up in where, like, restaurants were huge and, like, the tables were big and there was space between the tables and these aisles and they were beautiful. 
And I was like, wow, that's, that's very nice. Am I moving to Chicago anytime soon? No. I am still brand loyal to New York City, and I love it. But I had a wonderful time in Chicago. And, and the, the last thing I'll say about the tour is I feel really fortunate and proud. It fully sold out in every single city. It was so fun to get to perform for all of these fans across the country and then also to just be in these places in these full rooms and, and get to do the thing that I love, and it felt really special. So, yes, while I am exhausted, I am, my heart is full, my brain is full, my belly is full because I ate a lot of food in these places. Like, I am very full to the point that I, like, probably need to, like, deflate a little bit and come back to earth. But, yeah, I think after going on this tour and sort of running around the country a little bit and also having just came off of a vacation where we, you know, flew out of the country. There was only one thing that I could talk about on this episode, and it's traveling. It's traveling. I I want to talk about traveling and not not necessarily about like, oh, vacation and the plans. I want to talk about like the literal physical act of traveling, getting on a plane, train, or automobile, you know, getting from one place to another, packing, ugh, the worst. And just like, I don't know, I... I feel like I've become a better traveler over the years. There's just a lot about it that like strikes me quite funny and also so inefficient. Like I look, I walk through the airport and I'm like, what about this is, who came up with this? Who made this plan? Who thought, okay, this, for example, who thought, oh, we'll board the plane from the front. That way, the first people who get on will get to sit there. They are the people who paid the most for their seats, but they'll have to spend the most amount of time on the plane. And, you know, the plane, it's not like a sauna. You don't want to spend a lot of time in there. In fact, it's the opposite of a sauna. It's just like a germ-filled, tight, loud cavity where you have almost no space, even in those first-class seats. I mean, yeah, okay, fine. You're flying Emirates business class. Like, that's a different thing. I'm talking, like, the Delta shuttle from New York to... Chicago that first class seat you get one more inch of seat like whatever so these people who paid the most for their tickets they're gonna get on the plane first and then we're gonna slowly board people from the front to the back so that every person who walks by with their large carry-on that they're trying to get onto the plane has to hit you in the face with it and cause a ruckus and cause a scene and get in your way and then you know I just why, like, for the love of God, board the plane from the back. And we started doing that. We did that in COVID. I, like, I flew a couple times when it was still a little covid and we boarded the plane from the back because it was, like, less amount of people going around or whatever. And, like, it made so much more sense. It worked better. It was seamless. The people got in, and then you just sort of filed up to the front, and then you took off. I just, I, it will never make sense to me why we don't board planes from the black. And I know what the answer is. I know what the answer is. We are all fighting to the death, fighting for our life to get our rolly bag in that overhead compartment. Because every time you get to the gate, then someone comes over and come over the announcement and they, they sound, they sound like this. You know, it's like you're trying to freaking listen to Charlie Brown because I don't know what it is about airports, but they need a better PA system. 
So your flight attendant comes over and they're like, hey, we need 47 of you to check your roller bags. This is a completely full flight and we need volunteers to gate check their bag. I get it. The rush to get on the plane has nothing to do with wanting to get on the plane. It is the rush to get your suitcase on the plane with you so that you don't have to go to bag check at the end of your flight. I get it. I When I have a roller bag, like when I haven't checked a bag, I'm like, my bag is getting on that plane. I don't care who I have to ram in front of to get there. Like, I get it. It brings out the worst in people trying to get your rolly bag in the overhead compartment. And then there's always one motherfucker. Sorry, I had to say it. There's always one asshole who takes up an entire freaking cabin with like his little tiny backpack and his parka. I'm like, dude, those could fit under your seat. Like, just take one for the team. We're all in this together. We are all on this flight, you know? I want to shout out to the train for a second because the train is amazing. The Amtrak is, this is not sponsored. Amtrak absolutely does not need me to sponsor them. (laughs) But I will say from my own heart, the Amtrak is the best. It is so much better than flying. And it's funny, I... At my ad agency, I had a client based in Boston, and we would have to go visit them occasionally. Like, as one does, you, you have the business travel. And so many of my coworkers were like, why would we take the train when we, can, when we can fly? Like, work's paying for it. First of all, sometimes the planes are less than the Amtrak. So Amtrak is maybe annoying in that regard that it can get very expensive. But if you know you're going in advance, you buy your ticket in advance, you could get from, like, Boston to D.C. for, like, 40 bucks. Like, it's amazing what you can do. And, but my coworkers would always be like, let's take the plane. Let's fly. And I was like, why in the name of God would you want to fly when you could take the train? And they were like, well, the flight is 45 minutes. I'm like, okay, the flight is 45 minutes. But you have to get there an hour before your flight. So now we're at an hour and 45 minutes. You have to, after your flight is over, you have to go through the whole freaking deplaning process and finding your ground transportation and all of that. So I'm going to call that bare minimum 30 minutes but let's be honest we all know it takes more than that long story short and then you factor in getting to the airport versus the train station because the train stations are in the middle of cities like Penn Station is on 8th Avenue and 32nd Street Back Bay Station is in the middle of Boston the airports like if I want to fly to JFK and I'm leaving at any time that is remotely like rush hour give plus or minus an hour on either side It's taking me a full hour to get there. So my point being, once you factor in, yes, the plane ride itself might be 45 minutes, but once you factor in all the other time, the difference in travel time from taking the Amtrak or taking the plane is really not that different. And like, look, am I suggesting that I should take the Amtrak from New York to Chicago and it would be like whatever, an ungodly amount of hours? No. But when the train is a viable and easy option, it is the best. You're not like limited to two items per person that have to fit a certain way. Like I can go on with my backpack and then like two random shopping bags or whatever. Like you don't necessarily have to pack effectively or compactly, which like maybe you should anyway, but it doesn't matter. Like you can sort of, especially like when I'm traveling to and from my parents, like if my mom randomly is like, take this blender home because we all know how moms get, I can just put the blender in a shopping bag and it's not a big deal. 
And I can, you know, you can bring liquid. You can bring, it's great. So big fan of the train. Once you get on the train, it is so much more comfortable than a plane. Like the seats are bigger. You can move around. There's like the little cafe car. You can buy your food. You get Wi-Fi that is way more reliable than airline Wi-Fi. And I get it. But you don't have to pay for it. It's just like an overall amazing experience. I, <laughs> Me and President Biden are Amtrak's biggest fans, I think. But I really, I really do love it. It's just, it's easy. It's comfortable. If you can plan in advance, it's really cheap. So I guess this was just like me promoting Amtrak. But anyway, so I took a lot of trains. But then I also took a lot of planes. So as I'm spending time in airports, I'm just like, an airport is the wild, wild west. Like, the things that people think are socially acceptable at an airport floor me. Like, the things that can constitute breakfast at an airport are unfathomable to me. It, you, like, get there at 7 a.m. and it's like, you want a fried chicken sandwich? You got it. You want a bag of combos and a Toblerone? You got it. You want a full porterhouse steak and a glass of red wine at 7.15 in the morning? You can find it. And you can eat it. You can drink it. No one is going to judge you. It's funny. Like, I, I say Toblerone and combos, like, facetiously. But at the same time, like, I get in an airport and I'm like, I deserve Chex Mix. Like, I don't know what it is. But it's like, the minute I step into an airport, I suddenly am like, I need Chex Mix. Cheddar Chex Mix, to be exact. And look, I like Chex Mix. I think it's delicious. I literally never buy it in my day-to-day life. I have never once bought a bag of Chex Mix from the grocery store when I do my grocery shopping. I don't buy it at the drugstore, like, when I need a snack in the middle of the day. I get into an airport and I'm like, if I do not have Cheddar Chex Mix to take me through this flight, I will not make it to the other side. And I feel like everybody has their airport thing. I think a lot of people, Toblerone, like it is iconically an airport candy. Like I don't know why. It's like I also wonder, I'm like what is the devil's deal between airports and Schweppes or Canada Dry? Because, and I love ginger ale, but like I go months and months and months on end without forgetting that ginger ale even exists. Like so not on my radar. The minute I get on a plane and everyone around me, like, it, it's like, it's almost like Pavlovian, like a Pavlov's dog moment. Like, you get on a plane and suddenly you start salivating for ginger ale. You're like, I need ginger ale. So it makes me laugh, but I really do think that there are, like, certain idiosyncrasies that every person has when it comes to flying. And I don't know about you guys, but I do this thing in the airport where, like, I have a really hard time committing to where I'm going to eat or where I'm going to get my airport food from. It's like a problem. Like I, well, I also have a problem with like the offerings at airports. Like I get that you have like the classic staples. You have like McDonald's, you have Dunkin' Donuts, like the things that everybody knows that are easy, they're affordable, fine. But like if you want to eat something remotely healthy, good freaking luck, okay? Like what would it would it kill them to put one salad place in an airport? Because again, sometimes it's like eleven in the morning, and I'm like, I don't really want to eat a Big Mac right now, and then get on a moving vehicle. Like that sounds like a recipe for needing to use the puke bag, if you ask me. So I don't know. I have a really hard time committing to airport food. So I walk through the concourse, and I 
clock everything. And even if something looks amazing and I'm like, oh, I kind of want that Jamba Juice or whatever it is, I have to get all the way to my gate and make sure that there's nothing better. Now, airports, like when you fly out of New York City and you're flying out of JFK or LaGuardia, these airports are massive. So you can pass that Jamba Juice and then still have like a 15-minute walk to your gate. And then you get to your gate and the only option around your gate is Toblerone bars. I don't know. So I don't know. What, I feel like when I need to eat at an airport, I wander aimlessly. I just aimlessly wander for like, 15 minutes looking at every place and then I end up literally just like getting my checks mix and calling it a day and I don't eat a meal and then I'm angry and grumpy and dissatisfied and I don't know if anybody else feels that way but like I just the situation the food at the airport is always it's gotten to the point where I literally I will google the terminal before I get to the airport and look at the list of restaurants and pre-make my decision. Another question about like when you get to the actual airport is like what like what is the appropriate not that it matters obviously wear whatever you want to wear but like what is the appropriate travel uniform because I feel like everyone's out there looking cute now they got like their matching sets whatever but now like sometimes I get in a plane and I'm like I don't look like I should be allowed in public like I look like but The other thing that makes me laugh about that is, like, we're all there, like, in our athleisure. We got our sneakers on. We got on our spandex, our sports bras, like, our – and I'm, like, there is nothing athletic about flying. Like, it is the most sedentary – you can barely even get up to go to the bathroom. Like, you are just sitting there for hours, and we're all in our, like, sport clothing. And I know it has more to do with comfort and being able to stretch and – I. Get it, guys. Trust me. I, I, it's not like I'm out here traveling in a prom gown, okay? I literally am wearing, like, leggings from 2009 and a sweatshirt that's, like, seven sizes too big. Like, I, I fall into this category. But when I look around at all of us in our athleisure, I'm just like, this is so ridiculous. Like, we're just going to – we're not doing anything athletic at all. And it just kind of makes me laugh. The one thing that drives me insane – like – I get the neck pillow, right? Like you're going on a flight, you want to sleep, whatever. But the people who walk around the airport wearing the neck pillow when they're walking around, like, come on, guys. <laughs> you look like a dog that has just been spayed. Like why why are we wearing that? Like it's it's just like there is this feeling. I, I And I think this goes back to the wild, wild west of it and the eating fried chicken and red wine at six in the morning, there is this feeling in the airport of anonymity. I don't know if I said that right, but like almost as though you are invisible. Nobody knows you there. And you can sort of just like exist in your own, like your own world. And I get it. You're sort of like the other thing about being in the airport is like you're kind of like neither here nor there. You're like in transit very literally. So you don't feel settled. You're not like, once you get to where you're going, you're probably like, oh, like, I have a cute vacation outfit or, you know, and it's not just about cute, fine, but, like, it's just people walk around the airport like they are in an invisibility cloak. It blows my mind. Like, they really are just so, (laughs) I mean, more power to them, right? But these people just, like, sitting at the bar, blasting music in their neck pillows and their socks and slides eating 
their food that is so inappropriate for the time of day by societal standards. And I'm just like, what in the world is going on? And for the love of God, can they stop overselling the flight? Because that is my least favorite thing to hear when I get, like, I, they're like, we have a little problem. We oversold the flight. I'm like, how? You know how many seats are on that plane. This isn't like $10 tickets to a crummy comedy show. Because I've been a part of those. And I know that if 40 people buy tickets, not all 40 are coming. If 40 people buy plane tickets, I'm going to guess 9 times out of 10, 40 people are going to come. I don't think people willy-nilly are just like, eh, I have a plane ticket. Not going to use it. And yeah, I know, obviously, sometimes you're sprinting through security, you don't make it. I get it. But this just like hubris of the airlines is like, yeah, we could oversell. What are they going to do? They can't get on the plane. We'll have to offer them $200 in a stay at the Hilton Homewood Suites or whatever. It's like, no, just sell the amount of tickets as the amount of seats you have and all will be well. And then people won't have to suddenly volunteer. And I don't know about you guys, but I'm a bit of a martyr. I don't know. But whenever they ask someone to volunteer, I feel guilty that it's not me. But I got places to be. I got things to do. And you know what? I don't want to spend another two hours roaming a Hudson News. And sometimes it's more than two hours because there aren't as many flights. So for the love of God, I'm begging the airlines, stop overselling the plane. Now that I'm flying a little bit more, I, uh, I'm getting very committed to getting status on an airline. <laughs> and I laugh because people get status and act like they're an aristocrat. Like I literally, I got Delta Silver two years ago and when like they did the rollover from COVID and that's the only reason I got it. I had like gone on enough flights and whatever that when they like let two years count instead of one year, I hit silver, which is like the bare minimum. It's like barely even having status. Okay, you're like, they're just acknowledging. They're like, oh, hey, like we kind of know who you are, but we don't care. We know, but we don't care. I hit silver and I felt like a pop star. I was like, oh, it's me. Delta, they're going to upgrade me. I'm like, every flight I got on, I was like, oh, I'm going to get upgraded. I, no. So you are the bottom of the rung. But it was like this, this feeling of like, I've made it. And it just like, it's so, the status of it all. Also like frequent flyer miles. They're like, you have 300,427 miles. That equates to two U.S. dollars. <laughs> it's they just, they play you so hard because they're like, earn 75,000 bonus miles. And you're like, hell yeah, I'll do that. And then 75,000 bonus miles is like a nickel. Like they inflate the points so that it feels like such a thing. And then of course it's not. And I don't know, but I got, I got a taste of the other side. I, I felt it. Now I'm chasing the dragon. I am addicted to my status. So now I'm like, and, and it's so smart from a marketing perspective, like, the chokehold that airlines have on us when it comes to brand loyalty. I don't know. It, that and nail salons. I don't know anything else besides an airline and a nail salon, which are like two opposite ends of the spectrum when it comes to how much things cost, like my $20 manicure versus $600 flights. But th- their loyalty about like you can get your frequent flyer miles or five manicures, get one free – I will not go to another nail salon because I am working up to my free one. And I will, if ever possible, fly Delta because I want to be status. 
And let me tell you something. Sometimes that really bites you in the butt. Like, I'm booking flights for a show that will be announced soon. And the Delta flight times are just, like, horrible. Everything about, like, they have one flight, like, the way that the flights are working out, it's either, like, a long layover or a late night. Like, and JetBlue, American, they have flights, but I don't want to take them. It is wild. I I only hope that my fiancé is as loyal to me as I am to Delta Airlines because that would be a great marriage. The last two things I want to know are etiquette questions for when you're on the plane. A very serious question here. What is the etiquette with leaning your chair back? Because on both my flight to and from Chicago, the person in front of me leaned their chair back all the way. And I wanted to hate them with every fiber of my being because I couldn't have my laptop on my tray. They were hitting me like I was so annoyed. But then at the same time, I was like, but the the chair goes back that far. And they're taking advantage of the seat that they paid for. So, you know, I couldn't actually get mad. But it was so uncomfortable for me to have them lean back. So feel like this one's kind of on the airlines, like, Maybe they shouldn't make their chairs lean back so far. Or, God forbid, what if we gave people a little more legroom? And the last thing I want to talk about is the extreme sport of picking the movie you're going to watch on a flight. It is, first of all, I will scroll through every single title they have, A to Z. And by the time I get through it, like on a short flight, I no longer have time to watch the movie. There's so many factors to consider because one, you're a captive audience. So you are going to be invested. And I I get distracted easily, especially in my house. So like honestly, sometimes I feel like I watch movies on planes more fully than I watch movies in my own house because I'm just like, I'm here. There's literally nothing else. No one can text me. I can't scroll Instagram because my phone's on airplane mode. I, I can't even move. I'm going to watch this movie. So there is a part of me that wants to be like, all right, let me, let me watch something I really want to watch. At the same time, the screen is the size of, I don't know, a Smurf screen. It's like so, it's a small screen to watch TV. And you have to do it through the freaking earbuds, which for the love of God, again, I need, like, I'm begging a lot of things of these airlines, but I wish they would upgrade their headphone technology So, yeah, I want to watch something that I really want to see. But at the same time, I know it's not going to be like the best viewing experience. Then you have to think about the emotions that you're going to feel. Right? I'm a crier. I cry at most movies. And there is something very cathartic and mortifying about crying on a plane. And I've done it. I've done it many times. I've cried on planes. I've cried on trains because of what I'm listening to or watching. And so, like... If, are you going to watch a movie that's going to make you cry and then suddenly now you're just like crying in the middle of a crowded flight? Another thing to take into account is if you're watching a movie on a plane, everybody else around you is watching that movie too. <laughs> like I can't tell you how many movies I have seen and I use that in air quotes because I've only watched them over the shoulder of the person across the aisle and one row up from me at an, on an airplane. I don't know I get embarrassed easily so like I watch Don't Worry Darling it has some very graphic sex scenes in it 
Or you're watching something just like graphic and spooky. You're like, everybody else is watching this too. It's a lot. So you think about that, or at least I do. And I know that this is probably way more thought than that needs to go into picking a movie to watch on an airplane, but this is why I'm an overthinker. I've kind of gotten to this place, and I'm very happy with it, so maybe you guys will want to take this on. I love Disney. We all know that about me, and I love their movies, but I'm not, like, sitting down on a Friday night to watch the movie. I have started using airplanes as a chance to catch up on my Disney and Pixar, (laughs) and it's kind of the perfect plane movie because it's definitely short enough that even if you have a short flight, you're going to watch it. It doesn't need to be on like a giant screen. It's not like this action adventure epic. You know, you can watch it um, and just sort of enjoy it for what it is. I have found that watching animated feature films on planes is perfect. And you don't feel, even if there's like a child next to you, you know, you don't feel like, oh, don't look at my screen. You know, maybe some people would be embarrassed that you're a 30-year-old woman by herself opting to watch a movie made for children, but I think it's awesome. Anyway, that's my thoughts on airports and airplanes and traveling. And yeah, I look, I, I'm going to keep doing it. I'm going to keep going places. And I'm going to keep observing humanity at, I would argue, its absolute weirdest. But until my next flight and until my next show, this was just like other girls. As always, love chatting with you guys. Until next week, I'll see you later.